See you come in. Let's go, let's go, let's go, dude. <laughs> this is Mendeleev coming at you with the Mendeleev podcast. On this podcast, we often chitty chat about all of the cool things that we like to do write songs, produce songs, sing songs, play songs. Yeah, basically a song thing, but other things too, you know? We like, uh, like just talking about life and who we are and stuff and most of it just ends up being a jumping off point for uh, getting a little bit deeper and understanding whoever our special guest is. So today, segue, special guest, Ralph Torfranca. This dude I have known since I was in high school. Honestly, this guy has done so much and I say that every time but like really, I mean from being one of the youngest DJs on our local Santa Barbara radio station to um, working as a director of A&R at, at massive companies, working as a manager, a music manager. He's been a video director. And he's also currently the front man and lead singer and, and guitar player of a, a phenomenal punk group, Cuffed Up. We talk about what it's like to have all these different hats and juggle all of these different ways of, of being involved inside of the music industry. We talk about how to be the best producer possible and where our inspirations come from and the best methods of getting our song from the studio out to the audience. Anyways, it was such a great time catching up with this dude. So yeah, enjoy this super duper special episode of the Mendeleev Podcast featuring Ralph Torfranca. Did did. We were yeah, we were back in high school. I was in a band with him called the Sykes where I was the drummer. Uh, yeah, like- well, I booked you guys because that was remember it was after my band Kill Ugly Radio. Kill Ugly remember, Radio. Because Skylar was in that band, and then uh, and then we stopped, and obviously you guys. But I was still booking shows, so I booked you guys. Wait, where did I you think book I'm us? I'm pretty sure. Where did we? Do? Jensen's main stage, the venue where I used to book. Oh, Jensen's, do you yes, dude, I remember because they yeah, they opened up that like electric guitar shop across the street. Yeah. Yeah. So yes. Dave, uh, the guy, his name is Dave. He let me book there as like a teenager, so I booked shows constantly. That show I put you guys on was literally it was saint motel i'm not sure if you remember but saint motel played that that was headlining that show that you no guys way. opened up for no way yeah and it mm-hmm. and they they were at that point they were still an la band that was like people were kind of getting getting like kind of hip to but like you know i paid them 50 dollars in taco bell or something you're crazy yeah point, you were probably like 16 play. 17 and weren't, weren't you like Weren't you a, a DJ on 99 or or were you working for KJEE for a little bit or something? Yeah, I was I'm the young, I'm still currently like the youngest radio DJ of their station's history. No way. Because I got Yeah, dude, that I my whole thing was uh what was it? I <laughs> It was like do you remember they had job shadow days at DP at our high school yeah. that we both went to and um I went one day and they were like, "Oh, we have uh you could shadow uh, anyone in this book. And I like re- read through the book, and the book literally had not, you know, it was all like a uh, plumber, an engineer. I was like, I'm not interested in any of this. Yeah, and yeah. the, the counselor, counselor was like, do you like music? I was like, I love music. And mind you, this is like 2006, like MySpace, Circuit, like, you know, right. Panic of the Disco, and My Chemical Romance, that whole bit. And then right. I was like, I was like, uh, yeah, I do. And she's like, okay, do you want to like sh- job shadow the program board director at UCSB? And then, so I went to UCSB and it was like job shouting. Basically, I, I followed the guy around during my first show I've ever been to. And I got to do like hospitality at the show. And, and the show ended up being like Panic of the Disco, Academy is, Acceptance, Hello, Goodbye. Like these bands that were like massive, at least at, in my mind. Yeah, so cool. Especially especially at that time. Uh, man, that's awesome. So why did you end up moving to LA right away? Uh, I had, I have, I have this thing about 
like when I saw seniors graduate high school or high school and then I would see them hanging out like the year after at like football games I was like I don't want to be that <laughs> I don't want to be that person I was like and no offense to them but life is so short and I need to be able to do something that like really fulfills myself creatively and yeah like emotionally to be honest like something that makes me excited to do what I do and I, I was like I gotta move to LA and work in music and I that was my whole thing was like, I'm gonna work in the music business like cool that's gonna be the number one thing but and then I was also a songwriter the whole time so it was yeah. it was kind of like an interesting dichotomy of like I'm moving to be in the music industry but I'm also going to you know try you to be creative. perform and yeah. yeah be creative so did you end up like going right into a job there uh, in the more managerial side or 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 Anna, was it or did you go in to like start a new band mm -hmm. uh i definitely was trying to start my own i had my solo project so i started my own solo project while i was there but uh mm -hmm. yeah i ended up at the agency group which is what is now called uta united talent agency oh yeah um it was a lot to take in for an 18 year old because mm -hmm. obviously i came in completely like, oh, I do it for the love of music. The music is the biggest thing. And, you know, it's the reason why I'm doing all this. And then I was seeing, like, my friends, like, getting fired for no reason. I was seeing, like, people getting stabbed in the back and purposely stabbing other people in the back and stealing yeah. clients. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, yeah. this is not what I want to do. No this way. Is, uh, this is not what I want to do. Um, gotcha. So eventually I, le I left that I left that and started touring for with bands and I was like touring with bands on and off for years and then I was also doing and then I was also like uh, my own artist so yeah 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 juggling juggling a lot at once and so were you also uh at what point did you start doing a and r with with was it angry mob are you still doing that yeah dude I'm crossing eight years wow angry mob yeah Holy yeah it's shit. great it's a very it's a rare thing to find a company where someone like myself like is able to grow with a company. Yeah. Um, yeah, because before this, like, I was a publicist for, I was doing like tour PR for like Jackson Brown. I, I was, you know, I worked for Ben Gibbard from Death Cap for Cutie. I did, Wait, like, you were doing Santana's. tour PR with Jackson? Jackson Brown, yeah. I did was, not know that. Uh, and before that, it was Carlos Santana and Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Oh, fuck And yeah. Young. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Like and Young. Wow. Peggy, Peggy Young. Like, I was doing a lot of stuff for Peggy Young. But that was, that was like, I was a publicist for a good chunk of time in my 20s. Like, but then that was kind of where I learned how to do, like, how to pitch myself. That's how I learned how to talk to people, how to network and meet all the right people in the music industry. Yeah, and, I can imagine, especially... Um, you know with those legends dude i actually ended up a few months ago i ended up opening for jackson brown in la i was uh oh yeah that's right back. it that's was me and madison trip. cunningham and we uh oh, we, we did this we each did a set and uh then we ended up like singing with each other at this this Amazing. epic epic bob dylan song and uh, dude, it was fucking awesome, man. It was it was really that's one of amazing. the coolest experiences, you know, aside from, you know, just growing up idolizing this dude and then all of a sudden you know, we get to actually share the stage together. And so when did you move out of that? When did you, uh, uh, like, you know, s stop with, with that and, and just kind of transition more to A&R? Uh, yeah, like when I, I, I became a manager afterwards. So I started mm -hmm. managing this band called Torches. And then I started doing like independent A&R. So I was like A&Ring for like certain people's projects and like trying to get people signed to major labels like i was doing that independently while i was having some other day, day gigs pretty yeah. much um uh and then i ended up uh, on and off i was working at red light management actually i worked oh, at no way. Uh, this, the, yeah so like the biggest independent management company in the world um and you, did you have and, your own roster under them no, I actually wasn't a manager at that point. At that point, well, I was a manager, but I was managing independently. But I was a front desk person, and I was also working for a, a guy named Phil Costello, who I worked for my friend's band on and off for a couple of years called um, Local Natives. So I worked oh, for, yeah. Well, yeah, so I worked for Local Natives, and then uh, in terms of that, Local Natives, I also... Man. Local Natives, too. Yeah, they're, they're, they're the sweetest guys. Um, I, was just, awesome. I, I was just DMing Kelsey, actually, today. Um, but... Yeah, and then there's uh, 
and then uh, through that i was like put on tour with radiohead and then i was put on like these to- i was i was doing a lot of ma- management work but then eventually i ended up in the office like at the front desk and then also running the the uh, internship program so i did both uh, that those positions which are very you know the company itself is massive it's like the you know it's the it's independent but it's like massively huge so like everyone has are on their own island so eventually yeah. i got to the point where i was like i really want to kind of dig into something and really put my 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 dna into like uh something that like is going to, i'll be able to grow with and then eventually that's where you I got like headhunted yeah i got headhunted by the the former a- the head of anr over there and he wanted to bring a new blood so he found me and um and offered me a position as as anr manager actually so i came in as an anr manager and suddenly i was suddenly i was like this junior executive 25 year old so eight years i'm 33 now so i was 25 mm-hmm. And, um, I didn't know anything about publishing, but I, what I did know was like, I was a creative and that I, you know, knew some, I had a perspective that a lot of the other ARs didn't have was the fact that I've failed Mm. as a, (laughs) as a, as a, an artist that I've failed as a writer, I've I've failed as a creative, trying to make like actual living from being a creative and, um, and I knew that that was going to be my kind of unique angle on, on the nice. A&R and that's what I've kind of cultivated. For and so then years. it, then it flips back the other way and is it maybe about four or five years ago you, you started cuffed up. Yeah, it was too, well, okay. So in 2018, I had like this whole thing where I was like, I, I didn't want to be the lead singer of a band anymore i was in a previous band called dr doctor and then before that i was in a cover band called expo d6 which was a secret death cap cutie cover band and uh <laughs> nice and <laughs> yeah i know and it so that that lasted for a little bit and then me and the drummer from dr doctor because like half the group ended up moving like our, our really good friends zach greenwald and uh and drew brooks who were in um that band who was in a band that like I grew up watching back in Santa Barbara? They're actually from Santa Barbara originally. They went to um they went to college there. Um, we they ended up moving away, and me and Joe were just like, what the what are we gonna do? And then one night, my friend Kenny from Goon was like, I'm opening up for this British band. They're staying in my my apartment, but like we're playing the Echo. I was like, okay, I'll come over. So I came, saw Goon, and then I was about to leave, and then my friend Jake Whitener was there, and he was like, you should stay for the headlining band I was like okay never heard of them they come out and there's like five pasty like british boys one wearing a cowboy hat he's eventually by the second song took off his shirt and like rubbing his nipples i was like what the hell is going on but it is literally the coolest thing i've ever seen and it was a band called shame and i was like this is post-punk and this is happening yeah. right now yeah. and i was like and all i could think about was like we're allowed to do this Nice. no way are we fucking allowed to do this i was like so th- that night i came home and I, r- I recorded a riff for a song that ended up uh, being on our first ep called um small town kid so like that was like mm-hmm. my the yep. riff i wrote that night and then I, nice. that whole the next two months i wrote a bunch of songs and then uh and then i told joe i was like do you want to be in this band he's like hell yeah and then we and then i asked my friend joe pepe if he knew any bass players recommended this dude named Vic who just moved here from chicago and oh i didn't even know he, him yeah, I didn't know him. Like a week, and and Joe met him a week before, so it was all a lot of serendipity that ended up happening. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. Yeah, and then we started jamming out and formed some of the songs. And by the end of the year, we met Sapphire and we completed the lineup. And then we started. We played our first show in like March of twenty nineteen. All was right. Our first show out. We had a full year before the music. pandemic. Yeah, that's the unfortunate thing. Was like we had we had a lot of momentum going into after that, you know, as 2019 started, but then like you said, the, yeah. the pandemic kind of really halted things and we, we got into a tough position. Right. Like, well, what, it seems like you're, you're definitely gaining some, some traction back. You're making yeah, up for some, yeah, some yeah. lost time. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I mean, we ended up out of the pandemic. We ended up recording with uh, this producer named Brad Wood, who did some of my favorite records with like, uh sunny day real estate they did the big sunny day real estate record that came out like in the 90s that was big for me liz fair's first record um mm, whoa, he's, nice. he's he's amazing so we ended up recording with him and doing like an ep with him and that kind of restarted the the whole thing with like us writing as a band 
and and recording Sweet, as a band dude. you know dude that's yeah. great are, are you guys playing south by this year we played last year and that was an experience because i was there both as an a and r as and as a artist oh, <laughs> that was yeah, yeah, really yeah. that was really fun because i had to like run around with gear while i was also taking meetings and stuff yeah um, but yeah no i'm i'm not we're not playing this year we got invited back but we decided that we we're gonna because we're in the middle of making the album right now and you know if something i've learned of going to south by for the last seven eight years is that you know you don't want to go out there without a purpose because oh okay it's such a it's a money suck the thing takes it takes money that and south by you know doesn't pay basically does not pay so it's like yeah you're doing it with like this big you know you go in the red at that point so it's an investment it's an investment yeah and it's great it's a great opportunity but like you have to be very smart smart and mindful about it and you know if you don't have the funds to go into it then it's probably not the time to go do it you know so fair enough yeah, yeah. all right got you and so you also i was i was looking it up you also have this uh other hat that you put on as a as a as a filmmaker the you want to talk about champagne social at all <laughs> yeah yeah so the speaking of skylar bible our mutual good mutual close friend from high school he stars in that mm -hmm. which is really cool and i That's i wrote right. yeah i wrote i wrote the short film a couple years ago and put a bunch of my own money into it and directed it and, and really kind of just put my all into it and um filmmaking has always been a, a big part of my life like that's been at when i was in high school i got my first guitar but i also got my first camcorder and then i was also i was doing all of it at the same time so i was making music videos yeah at the yeah same time. yeah which i'm so on the same same path which camcorder did you get in high school uh it was it was the one that mr dent also had in his uh do you remember <laughs> he I it, do. Was, it was I a mini do. it was, like a it was sony something the sony yeah it was the mini dv cam cameras the ones that had the yep. mini dv things the little and, tapes yeah exactly so i like i shot music videos for his video production class and then i started like um learning how to like shoot stuff i never really got to edit much but like I, I i shot things in um so that eventually yeah. led to the whole thing was filmmaking is a huge part of my life still like and screenwriting i yeah. wrote i started writing a couple years ago like seriously started writing and my first script made it into the top 10 percent of the nickels fellowship um which is oh nice pretty crazy yeah and to me i was like cool I proved to myself that I could actually write, you know, tell a good stories, um, both through not only film, but or, or writing in film, but also in, in music. And I could kind of go in between. Um, and that's why, you know, I even for Cuffed Up, I've directed our music videos. Um, I directed nice, one. dude. Yeah, I directed one for a song called Bonnie. That's really cool that I'm really proud of that. I also have to star in. So that was like a that was a lot to learn pretty much oh but. in front of and behind camera yeah yeah it's a lot <laughs> did you have like a dp that could could handle it all or, or were you yeah were you yeah directing? yeah yeah i had a an amazing cinematographer named um, kylie hazard who is already like kind of mm -hmm. killing it on her own but i've learned from nice. a lot of really good dps and stuff too um that I've, I've worked on all female dps that are all just usually the one female like cinematographer or something in a whole like range of just like male cinematographers so i'm like really whenever i work on stuff for the most part i try to try to get m the the team that i get together to be like a pretty equal amount because obviously it yeah. still sometimes could be a pretty one-sided coin yeah you know? yeah absolutely um so yeah. so jumping back over to the music man and a lot of this podcast is talking about the creative process so I want, I want to ask you, man, when you're, when you're writing, I know you'd mentioned earlier that, that you were starting with, with a riff when you got inspired. What is kind of this general form that you have? Do you change it up always? Or, or is there kind of a, a, a kind of formula that you usually stick to? Do you, do you write melody first? Do you have mm -hmm. a riff or chord progression that you kind of are just kind of uh, as a foundation and then you kind of mumble over top until you get the concept? Or are you like showing up with the script you know, with the lyrics fully fleshed out and the idea fully fleshed out when you meet the, the, the music. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people say it's different for themselves. My whole thing is, uh, 
I'll come up with like a riff and a progression first. That's usually the case. And then I'll start mumbling. It's, I saw a video of uh, Chester, Chester from Linkin Park, RIP, uh, where he, the way he wrote most yeah. of the songs was like, he was always kind of rapping, you know, and he was almost yep. borderline. And that's what I do. I'm, I like borderline, like yep. rap and sing the melody. Um, and then yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll fill in the blanks. But lately we have a new member named Christina and she is, like more traditionally like a, a co-writer so like for me wait now, i'm sorry you have a new member of cuffed up i missed that yeah yeah so sapphire jewel left the band um late last year oh. and then christina joined the band immediately after wait and, christina what's christina's last name um you probably know her cause she's she she has like her own uh she's a singer songwriter so like she's she's kind of well known at least in the la scene um uh-huh. And uh, the whole thing is that she came in as just like a, a fill-in, um, and then uh, eventually we we went on the tour and realized that she was just like such a great fit. And then it turned out that she was she was like a really great creative fit. Um, her name is Christina Apostolopoulos. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Oh she she went to Berkeley. Yeah, she went Wait, to Berkeley. She's also, she's, she's also yeah. from Santa Barbara. Yeah, she is also from Santa Barbara. Yeah. Wait, yeah, of course, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize. So she joined the band. Yeah, and the funny thing is that when she got when she joined the band, I didn't know if she's from Santa Barbara. So until we had we were it's on the road, we're like, we're like, oh, you're from Santa. I'm from Santa Barbara. Oh, we went to rival high schools and we overlapped two years because she's two years younger <laughs> than. Or three yeah, years you know, I I never really knew her that well, you know, uh, but uh, that that's such a cool crossover, man. And so you guys have started. Uh, co-writing together you said yeah we've so like i said we're making the cuffed up album right now and we only really grandfathered in like a couple of songs from like an old batch that we had but we wrote Mm. seven new songs together and me christina our process is literally just and it's so easy it's just we sit down i have the i have a bunch of the progression and stuff and either we would have already sat down with the band and then played in practice or i uh, or i just come up with it 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 would it kind of varies but we'll sit down and we'll have our um our notepads or our books across from each other and then we start listening to the progression and then we just have fun then we just throw around a bunch of listening to the progression meaning are you one who records the original thought and progression and then just kind of plays it on loop while you write lyrics to it yeah yeah well at the very least like lately that's been the best process we started off when we were playing the acoustic guitar and doing the stuff but like it, me and Christina typically have to listen to the progression a lot to try to like come up with some some cool ideas. Are, wait, acoustic guitar? Most of your stuff is electronic or Dude, electric I've, guitar, no? I've I've written all the uh, acoustic uh, all the cuffed up songs have all started on acoustic guitar. Like Wait, that's hilarious, but but on stage where's the acoustic well it's it, it i translate and then i pick up the electric guitar after i write it but it all starts from dude this is amazing this is amazing wait hold <laughs> do you do you have acoustic on your on your albums that i don't hear or, or? no i there's no acoustic guitars on the albums dude, but i write this is fucking i amazing. write them all on acoustic guitar because here's the thing my wow. whole mentality about songwriting is the same it's a nashville mentality it's like Mm-hmm. If a song isn't good, like broken down, singing just on like an instrument in my and just singing the melody, and it's not holding yeah. up, then it's not gonna hold up when you add all the the rest of the shit. Because ultimately, yep. you know what I've said, I've said this to like crowds at like songwriting conferences that I'll speak at sometimes is like, a good song is a good song. If you take a certain song from, like, it's t- take a fucking Fleetwood Mac song, like, and you play mm-hmm. it a different way, and take the blues out of it, and you take the 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 Fleetwood part out of it, you get a country song, you know. And it's like, yeah, and it's a good song is a good song. The genre is almost kind of like something is is yeah. just a technical thing, you know. No, totally. That's I'm I'm totally with that. You know, I I have this feeling a lot of the times that the more we add meaning like if we were to add an additional instrument every single instrument we mm-hmm. add uh, uh not that it limits it but it does define it more uh and and it, like you know whether it's a specific drum groove or even even just the sound of having like a trumpet for example approaching yeah. your song it's going to allow that to fit into a genre or help us like understand with all these kind of preconceived 
or connotations that we we have going into it and we're able to kind of put it in a box more um when we hear it but if we just strip it down to the bare bare bones of just like a singer and a guitar uh it's so open-ended a lot of times we're just like a singer songwriter now but but really that's that's uh, too vague of a term and and there's it's it's a little more i guess style-less uh, yeah or genre-less yeah and the genre is again just um it's it's just the the vessel that you choose for the most part mm-hmm. and to me some of my favorite songs aren't rock songs <laughs> it's on it's yeah. funny because like uh we will get interviewed sometimes and everyone says like their influences and stuff and it gets to me and i'm like outcasts uh black alicious uh and i'm <laughs> like literally i'm go I'm literally I going down. Black-alicious. I'm like D'Angelo. <laughs> you know, it's like nice. Those, nice. those are my uh, those are TLC. Those are my uh, my influences and in my songwriting comes from uh, like pop R&B that I listened to religiously in the '90s. Like that's that's yeah. where it comes from. Apart from my like my biological dad playing like Elvis in the car constantly. Like that was pretty much mm. and that was pop, obviously. Um, but yeah, to me, yeah, you know, like I happen to like love rock music i love post-punk music that's why we're doing yep. this type of thing but even if you, you'll eventually hear the cuffed up album and it's i've been saying it's a fucking buffet of rock songs because there's there's the, the it sounds like us but it's clearly different influences in every song it's because yeah 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 genre doesn't well, really matter you know amen amen uh and, and you know i'm if i when I do listen to it, I'm gonna, you know, try to uh, put on the, the ear of having the acoustic guitar being. You should. The, uh, I mean, at some point we'll need it. to do like a stripped down version of the album, and it would all oh, translate. Fuck yeah. It'll translate so well, but like I, the acoustic guitar, it's my sister's old acoustic guitar that she let me like keep, and I, I kid you not, there's a string, there's like the high E is gone, and I've never replaced it because I have some sort of weird OCD, wow. OCD thing about it where I'm like i don't need it this is i have to this is just forcing me to write with the bare minimum of like what i have you know yeah i know i know actually you know bob marley did that a lot i had a poster of bob marley while i was growing up and and he he, he's playing guitar and acoustic guitar and it didn't have a high e string so uh, there's something to it there's something to that i i totally support that type of limitation uh nice dude and so and so gotcha okay cool i'm i'm fascinated by that that kind of eclectic combination of influences mm-hmm. that that you have do you find and this is something i've noticed within myself recently do you find that you know i also grew up listening to pop mm-hmm. punk or, or or post-punk and a lot of just generally in the 90s in southern california you, you couldn't get away from you know yeah. there was green day of blink 182 or uh some 41 mxpx mm-hmm. all you know oh, all yeah. those guys uh yeah. there was there was this place where it switched over and and you know maybe i don't necessarily write in that style mm-hmm. uh, but we do have all these influences for, that are like stored away in some weird emotional vault that we have oh, yeah. like locked away and we're, we are always drawing on it but but nowadays when i'm like when i go to turn on spotify i mean i make a bunch of crazy shit too like a lot of the, most of my days are spent making like wompy electronic bass music and, and yeah, EDM so and stuff. Rad. but you know it's not you know I, i'll do some shows like that but most of my shows are just stripped down acoustic guitar mm-hmm. uh, and so i find that a lot of the time i'm so much more drawn to listening to just experimental things and and weird fun things i don't normally choose to listen to the style that I always make mm-hmm. uh, and and I don't know if it's intentional yeah uh, or if it's like I'm like avoiding it in some ways I, I did grow up listening to a lot of old classic 60s folk acoustic mm-hmm. music songwriters and stuff but like uh like we were saying Jackson Brown earlier but yeah I don't these days uh just listen to necessarily folk music even though it's what I make most of the time or if I, yeah. I perform that way most of the time mm-hmm. uh do you do you find yourself listening on your Spotify or whatever you listen on do you mm-hmm. find yourself listening to the to the bands that you're similar to or just like are you still listening still listen to Outkast and D'Angelo and, <laughs> and those guys yeah I listen to it's honestly a mix of everything. So I do listen to bands that are current because it's kind of important to know the landscape of the types of bands, especially if you're trying to like 
tour with those bands when you're trying to like yeah. be in the same mindset of those bands so um yeah. so that's typically why and but it's not i'm not seeking out a lot of those bands there's only a couple that i listen to it's like fontaine's dc idol is shame um you know a lot of these kind of like newer bands but most of the time i'm listening to like r&b pop pop like um things that would be on the pollen record or pollen like spotify playlist like oh okay I'll, okay yeah, yeah that makes sense yeah so most of the i mean stuff, I, I, dude, dude i listen i'd probably listen to more d'angelo on my spotify than johnny cash you know like yeah you know, nice. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm so with you yeah i mean it's it's the influence comes from a lot of places that you wouldn't expect uh my biggest influence i had in the last couple of years was this album by um dijon if you know that um artist dijon you've never listened I to do DJ? not well i i stumbled upon them the other day you should you should listen to Dijon. um he's he's this artist that was signed that is signed to i think warner um but he came out with a record that he did with um um mkg well who's his own artist but like they they he he ended up i guess co-producing the record and it's experimental cool. and raw. There's like there's a song where it sounds like he's been crying for two hours. That's so fucking like Whoa. amazing. There's a song called Whoa. So Many Times or So Many, where it's such an unorthodox fucking like flow to like the way that he's he's like the, the words that he's saying, but like it's coming from a place of like pain where like this whole album this whole album's about a breakup and then like reminiscent of like what the breakup was and Ooh, all the weird heavy. sounds the whole the whole if you watch the, the the live video he has on youtube it's almost like an album video he performs all the the songs from the album with his friends sitting around a table in like a living room and oh cool and they're just doing it and it's all just live and it's really fucking amazing because you could tell like this dude like is writing from a a place that's like real but b the production is really unique because it is so raw but also modern in a weird way but also classic like it's very interesting to see someone cool. who is able to do oh dude i'm i'm checking it out i'm checking it out i'm i'm gonna put that on my list thanks for the recommendation dude i uh i'm always looking for more um it, it, you i this podcast <laughs> wouldn't be uh uh um this this episode would not be my podcast if i didn't ask you if you uh have you listened to rick rubin's book oh that yeah put out that's, a few weeks that's ago? That's uh, I've been listening to snippets of it. I haven't gotten to dive into the whole thing, but I mean Rick Rubin. Oh, is... you listening like on on Audible or on like on, on uh, Audible? His... Yeah, and then I've been yeah, seeing a lot of because he his reads inter... it. Yeah, exactly. And then I'll, I his interview. He had he has a podcast with Malcolm Ma uh, Malcolm Gladwell, um, the Broken Record right. podcast. That he. Yep, I was listening that's... to that. Yep. Yeah, like he has a whole series where he has a conversation, three part conversation with Jefferson Tape, and then also like Flea and the rest of Red Hot Chili Peppers and. And then he was a guest yep. of his own, like with Malcolm Gladwell. But yeah, it's I haven't been able to d yeah. dive into the whole thing. But I I am a big avid fan of like his approach to to producing, yeah. and that's I think that's a cool. big big thing for my at least my approach to what I'm doing and what I'm starting to do as like a producer and maybe yeah. a feature producer for other people. Nice, um, nice, dude. I'm I'm glad to hear that because you're actually one of the only people that has on this podcast that actually has tried to give it a shot. I've been really trying to spread the gospel. I, I've been I, I usually double speed all the books that I listen to on audio oh, books, nice. but this one I, I I single speeded it and he talks so slow. It's like this meditation. I know, but it's like meditation, to, which he, he's all about. TMs. He's, all, he's about all about it. Um, and so I finished you, it and immediately started it over again and, and now I'm I'm double speeding it. And uh you know you, you hear it differently. Uh and uh but there's so much, so much in there, and it's yeah. it's really one of the greatest books I've ever come across. And so I'm really, I am trying to spread that gospel. I'm surprised I'm the only person like that. That I mean, I, I guess he's he's the people attracted to Rick Rubin tend to be sometimes about half the time aren't even music people. Like there's people I know that are, right that are just very in, interested in his philosophy of like how yeah. he chooses music and who he chooses to work with and like why yes. he he does what he does and it's very it, yeah even the this the spiritual community you know i first came across him i was uh at uh ramdas's retreat and that's where i first saw him we made eye contact one day and it was like a little no fucking life-changing no uh, i've actually seen him a few times because i know his studio is also near point doom 
Mm. Uh, so, so he always hangs out around Sun Life. Oh, yeah. uh, in the <laughs> nice. cafe in Malibu. Um, yeah, my, my post-surfing spot. But yeah, we, we've crossed paths path a few times, but if it happens again, there's no way I'm not saying something this time. Yeah, yeah, his Shangri-La is out in Malibu. You're right, so that, would, that makes sense. Yes. That's his, uh, yes. his nice studio. <laughs> exactly, exactly, right. Um, but yeah, I was, I've been blown away by how many of my friends have not dabbled in this damn uh uh um just just what do you even call it it's hard it's it's feels degrading to call it a book it's like this way of living yeah Um, i was about to say it's like a way of life type yes and and like i mean you know it's it's immediately replaced all of my favorite books ever it's like it's immediately wow. transcended to the top of of wow. the thing that i'm going to listen to over and over again for the mm-hmm. rest of my life you know damn um, that's that's big words <laughs> yeah i know right i know and it's also like you know they're all like really short chapters like a few pages long and so you really can't just like jump into like chapter 68 immediately and just like you know yeah there's, there's not an order yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna f- try to finish that book. <laughs> I also. I also like that you're doing the audi- audible because it is a different experience listening to him talk and and speak. Well, and, it's his voice. Like I, I, know, right? I have. I have to listen to him say it. Like it's I know. Just, there's something about it. there's there's a there's a way there's a way that it makes you feel comforted, but there's also some gravitas to it where you're like, yes, you're like, I need this. Something tells me in my gut that I have to take this seriously. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. No. And it made me, it made me want to like, maybe want him to drop an album, you know? I know. Like, seriously. You know, if he was a singer or I don't know if it would be like mantras or chants, or whatever the fuck you do, but have you seen, have you seen behind the scenes videos of him working with like Jay-Z and like some other folks? I think I've seen like little snippets on like posts on Instagram, but yeah, like what? Like the one of my favorite ones is where Jay Z is working on Ninety Nine Problems, and and that was it. That was right, and where that he's like, it. yeah, what you know happens? What? what happens? I remember this. Yeah, he's like, you should. He stops and he's like, you should do it a cappella. You should like start the song off with like. Man, no, it's problems and been in the song. You got Ninety Nine Problems, but a bitch ain't one. Hit me, and then and Jay Z is like. Oh what? <laughs> what? And then it was, dude, right? It was it's perfect. like it's always these these he has these workarounds, creative uh solutions. And 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 a big part of the book is like how much he's drilling in how much there is no right or wrong. And he's like there is this way and there is this way and there is this way. And that's what and makes me feel like so and th- that's that's also something that's I, I like having the dichotomy of this in our band is that, mm-hmm. you know, like you you're you're formally educated in music, as is Christina. Right. And as mm-hmm. was Sapphire. But I I, I I came from it from just like a place of feel. Right. So like that's mm-hmm. the purely yeah. feel like I I. My music theory isn't great. <laughs> you know, mm. it's like my, yeah. I, uh, half the time I don't even know what the song the key's in until I figured out and I looked at the first chord that I'm playing or something. And, but there's, it. there's something that's to be said, like when he was interviewing, um, Paul McCartney for that, uh, do you remember that series that they oh, did? Yeah. They yep. dug up all the masters or all the right. mixes of like the old songs that he's done from Wings to the Beatles to his own yep. stuff. And like, and Paul McCartney's talking about these moments where he's like, yeah, I don't even know what fucking chord that's called, but it sounded good. <laughs> you know? And you're like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, sometimes it's good to have those moments. And, you know, that's why I love being in a band where, you know, I, I we could do we could have both perspectives where we. Could yeah, like, I only think I write all I write majority of the hooks, of choruses and the songs. And those are the hardest arguably i think the hardest thing to do especially from my experiences in AR, is like how do you write a chorus True. that really do, or a hook that like really sticks around and my explanation of that is like i have no idea <laughs> you know yeah. it's like to me it's like i just start humming and that's the thing that came up but that's my specific filter that like everyone has their own specific filter of like a thousand hours of listening to music 
Yeah, you know? You, you know, you'd be blown away by how many people on this podcast are mumblers. Like, almost, not, yeah. not everyone, <laughs> but it's a solid majority of us that that are, uh, you know, are mumble writers. And it's funny, you know, not to bring Rick Rubin up too many times again. For no, the time, but he, he's because uh, like because his roster, his discography is just so infinitely vast. And yeah. whenever he's talking about people he's worked with, he rarely ever mentions them by name. So a big part of the book is this big guessing game as to who he's talking about. Who he's about. talking about, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, and he he is often talking about um, uh, mumbling as being one of the main <laughs> main ways in which the most brilliant people come up with their stuff. So, yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a total supporter of that. And to go back to what you said about theory, I, I do actually truly have a deep love for music theory and. And just the cosmic relationship of in the math, but I don't yeah. read music. Okay, um, like I, I physically have this weird thing with just reading in general. Yeah, uh, that I just I think a big part of my style as well has developed for that overcompensation, whether it's the ear sure. or you know these other these other strong suits that need to be developed and other mm -hmm. skills that need to be honed in order to you know not have this one ability. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a uh... I, I like Pharrell Williams and I I really like his production and his approach where he's like, I don't really read music that much, but he's like, I see everything in colors. I hear everything in colors. No way. Yeah. He, he literally hears things in colors. So he like, he's he got know, synesthesia. He has synesthesia. Yeah. So like he, he makes a lot of his decisions. Like if you see some stuff where he's working on justified, like, you know he's seeing colors of what justin is like bringing into the table and he's like freaking out about it and then he's bringing in you know whatever he's bringing in and it's oh that's cool and it's man. crazy so everyone's approach to it i listened to this um podcast called audio files where uh mm. where the producer himself like talks to other producers like classic ones ones that like you know like bill schnee or but but then he'll also listen he'll mm. also like interview like ariel Rexshade or like whoever and and the thing is, everyone's approach is fucking different. I don't think there's one yeah. specific person, one specific producer that has had the same approach. And it's because it really doesn't matter. It really, what matters yeah. is like, it sounds good to you. And that's my approach yeah. to currently like producing the album and then mixing the cuffed up album is literally like, I got to trust my gut and I got to trust my ear. Yeah. And if it sounds good to me, then that's as best as I can do it. Cause I, you don't want to be stuck in a B land of like hoping that you're going to make something sound like something <sighs> else. Cause it's not going to happen. There's so many variables to the reason. Why yeah, dude. That shit's oh my God. Yeah, dude. I went down such a deep, a few years ago, I went down a really deep rabbit hole of mastering. Um, oh, wow. before I, I, I've come to a really solid place with my own, with my own mastering now, mm -hmm. but a few years ago, it was like, I, I just had like a few friends I would always bounce things back and forth sure. between from very professional mastering engineers mm -hmm. to, you know, just just some uh, some close buddies. And I would like constantly be a being and see who's did what and which songs were like bumping compared to which ones weren't. And it really was the most brutal fucking rabbit hole I think I've ever musically gone down to the point where I really felt like I was going crazy. And like, you know, it can happen with us when we're mixing, but like after after that to like bring in this mastering a lot of time a lot of times producers or even mix engineers will will not be the ones to master their own thing right they'll yeah. send it off to yeah, somebody yeah, else just to get a totally whole other thing yeah the second end of years but but i've developed a personal formula and partly because of this phase i went through that drove me fucking ape shit um which was i just i needed to figure out my my way um, sure. and and it took yeah. a while and now i have a series of like 11 or 12 plugins that I run everything through and yeah. tweak depending but so you um, master and, your own music yeah and I master other people's stuff now too uh but I'm I'm fully I'm fully in the box man even though I am like a, a nerd I'm I'm pretty much all in my laptop well yeah me too and I, some of my favorite producers like Andrew Schneps like he he yeah. he does it all in the box right and all in the box oh he's and, amazing and the thing he said, I also have, I, I, my approach to this, I, I've had some looks at me about this, but you could have the most treated room in the world with monitors that like maybe you paid sound ID to like try to completely get it flatlined, right? To get everything flat yeah. in the room. The oh yeah, what are they? What are they called? There's like the uh, the the uh, sonar works. Sonar works, the, the, yeah. Like and the, yeah. I actually do have that service, but I do it to flat to flat EQ my headphones after i'm starting to listen to things 
There it is, dude. Yeah. I, I, as weird as this sound, I just got goosebumps. That, that's the answer. <laughs> that's the answer I was, I was hoping you'd say. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm one to, because I, I fully, hundred percent, fucking agree. And a yeah. lot of the times, as producers, we're trying to figure out a way that it's going to translate to our audience as we're hearing it, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and so, I had this experience with one album I was working on years ago, where I went into the mastering studio, mm -hmm. and it's like you know, speakers the, the ten foot high, the size of the room. Mm -hmm. uh, it was Howie Weinberg mastering studio, cool. my friend Gentry Studer, which he's incredible. And I was in there and we're mastering it. And it was like, you know, after working on this album for almost like a fucking year to hear it to this level, it was like, oh, my God, this yeah. is incredible. You know, you have that experience that the truth is mm -hmm. you'll never, ever have again. When you leave that room and when you no longer can listen through those amazing speakers, that experience is gone and you'll always be nostalgic for that experience. And that yeah. is not what translates all the time. A big part of mastering is making it translate, right? And so I have this theory, and, and I do also get a lot of hate for this, um, <laughs> is that I do have pretty decent monitors here, but I use them for random tests 90 percent of the time i'm in my headphones yes because, dude me yeah, too yeah. dude exactly <laughs> so 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 logic wise yeah. like let's look at the math dude i mean yeah. i mean i would say you know there's probably five to ten percent of human beings have a decent percent uh de decent pair of studio monitors or speakers whereas oh, like man. nowadays dude there's like i would say 50 percent of human beings have pretty solid headphones yeah yeah, and yeah, so if totally. you mix with the headphones, it's like, that's the best chance we got to have our thing translate. Dude, I have, okay, so I mix, so I, what I was going to say too is like, I mix exclusively on headphones. I check on my monitors for like things like mid to low end and stuff. But yeah. I, I have two, and I have a splitter, I have two different headphones. They're both $100, so, yeah, yeah, $100 fucking headphones. This is the, what is it? This is the Sony, the Sony MD7506s, and then you have these HD 280 Pros. These yep. are the ones that I'm used to. My ears are used to it. That I know You're exactly. I know exactly yep. where I need to cut or boost it, things because yep, of it's where what it, you get used to. Absolutely, man. In. You know, and, I actually, I'm yeah. not, dude. I actually have. I have I'm not going to admit this. All right, I'll fucking admit it. I, I have like six pairs of headphones that I check every different. No kind way! Of that's too. wow. That's you beat me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm on a, a whole other ball game with it, and. Uh, you know, I, I, I really try to limit myself and I, I try not to go too crazy about it and I'll stick to a couple like like you sure. there. Uh, but just in case, there's like, I even have those, you know those Neurobeat ones? It's yeah. kind of it's kind of yeah. gimmicky. Yeah. They like read your fucking yeah. brainwaves or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but man, I mean, you know, shit can sound really, if you want yours to just sound good, it's like even if you mixed it like shit, honestly, things sound pretty good with those headphones. Oh, I bet. I I also the the last step in my process are these guys are the AirPods. AirPods, I know. Because ninety five percent of people are listening to Everyone's these fucking got, AirPods, I know. and the thing is, I these know. tend to be bright. So it's like, what am I gonna they do? They are bright. They they're are bright. bright. They're really but bright. But bright in a weird way. Like they're not like really shiny high end bright. They're like weird, like eight K or which are. Uh, it's kind of has a little weird tin can bright thing. Ten, yeah, yeah, it, exactly. It's, it's interesting, but it never sounds good. But if it sounds good through the AirPods, I know that I would have done a pretty decent job because that means that everyone will hear a decent version. Of Dude, it. yeah, I was I was talking to my my producer buddy uh, Will Wells, who's mm -hmm. who's a great great insane producer. He's he's produced so many people from J P Sachs, Cynthia Erivo. Um, all these, all these legends, right? And uh, I was, I was sharing some mixes with him, and he was like, he said, he said, seventy-five percent of the time he sees mixes get okayed for distribution from labels via AirPods. Shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. Well, that does not surprise me. I mean, producers I work with who have big records or like significant rather records, they check on AirPods. They, they literally yeah. because again, the music they're making. Are are predominantly to like teenagers, you know. Yep. So yep, that's the teenagers right, right. ain't teenagers can't afford good headphones or good monitors, you know. Yeah, so. no, for sure. But honestly, if we're like flashing back, like this, they are AirPods are pretty solid compared to you know flashback ten years ago. Yeah. You know, and accessible. It's nice that there's something that everyone can translate to. Yeah, and they do have the technology in these are interesting because like there's obviously like spatial audio and then you have all these right. other things. I know, right? Right. I know. And it's yep. like 
interesting to see that that's where it's gone but i honestly like i am thankful to be able to be you know a producer in this day and age where yeah especially where we have access to all this technology where we could realistically do this at home because there's top 10 songs in the world that were all done at home yeah and we exactly dude like all billy eilish and everything i saw this quote from phineas the other day on 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 twitter it was a post he's like Mm -hmm. he's like people talk about how hard it was uh, and give us so much props for you know how difficult it was to produce all our whole uh, Billy and I's song in this in our bedroom. Yet when we go into a fancy ass studio, we spend an hour trying to make the fucking aux cable start working. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, Damn, it's like he's, oh, dude, he's oh, right. Real. He's a hundred percent right. I mean, but know, I mean, you know, as 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 producers like us, or uh, you know, there's there's nothing sadder to then then a bad translation there's nothing sadder than yeah. if we make this epic music video with this epic song that we master we film, blah, 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 you know all that shit and then somebody just watches it through their phone on um, their phone speakers yeah uh, you know that shit that shit's kind of tragic but that so that's this- also part of my step my all my mixes sound great on head on uh on a phone <laughs> on a phone dude yeah. I, I used to have a buddy who has an ab mix directly to his phone like he literally oh. clicks a button and it comes out of his Shut phone up. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Sonar ID have, um, or Sound Reference or Sonar, but they, that program that they have on the, on, uh, on the computer, you could check, do you know that where you could check like in, yeah. in three different cars on AirPods, on your laptop wow. speaker, you could flip through all the channels I and mean, they have wow. the EQ set to every single one. Wow. So, that that That's tends awesome, to be man. that tends to be pretty helpful, but I, it's, it doesn't beat me actually listening in my own car and then on on my phone. So dude, I I mean I used to like flashback for me ten years ago. I would be sitting in my car with my laptop and an aux cable, mixing and panning and tweaking just Whoa. in my car. Oh wow! You know? And you honestly, that to be honest, that was the best. That was yeah. like that's that was where I was at. I can't do that anymore. But um, that's so that's so crazy. But I mean, you I, do you do what you do, and you 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 try to make. We all adapt and try to make things work a certain way. I was even hearing Ariel Rekscheid on like a on the Audio Files podcast talking about him working with Adele and saying like, yeah, I didn't know where this dr- if this drum was syncopated. I, I I was really lost with this, so I nudged her vocals over an eighth note, and it sounded fine. And I was hoping that was okay. And then I brought it to her, and I was like, boom! Oh my gosh, it's uh, we're all guessing about half the time i'm just trying to figure out like why things aren't working that's you know? so dope though i mean honestly that eighth note nudge is a really hot take like, it is I, a hot take i mean it can I, work I, I, I just did it and it worked like, yeah <laughs> no it works right, uh but but man i uh i gotta i gotta jump to an, another podcast but yeah. ralph i appreciate you giving me so much of your time man yeah of course i'm so glad we could do this i really appreciate yeah, you dude thinking i'll of me. uh be be on the lookout for your your album when it comes out yeah i'll send you uh, i'll send you some of my maybe i'll test some of my mixes on you <laughs> yeah no by all means yeah. man i got i know i got those headphones yeah so w- just wear those specific headphones <laughs> yeah, yeah right exactly all right man much love ralph i'll, I'll talk to you soon brother all right, yeah. all right see you soon. bye